0: Hey everyone, welcome back to our second episode of Teams at Work podcast. Today, Mark, who was our guest from last episode and our valued advisor to Bunch AI is joining us as a co-host. Welcome Mark.
1: Oh, thank you Daria, I'm happy to be here again.
0: Awesome. And of course, we have a new exciting guest for you today. I'm excited to have Rafael Ryan as our guest. Rafael, it's amazing to have you with us. Um, in the past years, you've been on an amazing journey Uh, as a founder but also of course as a person i can't wait to hear about all your takeaways and learnings and it's really really great honor to have you on the podcast today
2: thank you for having me
0: thanks for coming over um yeah let's just jump right into it um so Rafaela's journey is really amazing because basically as um not that many founders actually uh, i think it's really quite um a big achievement, especially in the Berlin community that is still also quite young. Revel has built a built, um, career foundry from scratch into profitability after raising just 5 million venture um, funding, which is really, I think, a very efficient way to actually build a profitable, growing, and also truly transforming business. So I can't wait to hear all your learnings from that business, not only has Rafaela built one successful business. She also started a new one. So I'm also really excited to hear about your new um, adventure. So let's kick it off. Um, Tell us a little bit more about where you currently stand in your journey and how you got here.
2: Sure. Um, so end of last year, I left my company, Career Foundry. And at that point, we were 50 employees, we were profitable, we were a multi-million, uh, euro and dollar business. And um, I had built Career Foundry, I had founded it in 2013. And I was so in love with the idea of helping f- you know, close the skills gap, helping people find amazing careers with amazing futures. And um, I built that company for six years um, into what it is today. And somewhere um, along that path, I, yeah, you can say I lost the passion for the business a little bit Um not per se, ab- I didn't lose the passion about the mission. I still love the mission. I still love helping people in their careers. But some, something felt not quite. As excited anymore. And so I started thinking, okay, if I'm not super pumped about it, then I rather give it over to people who are pumped about it. And my, fortunately, my co-founder who I founded a company with was still super on fire for it. So he took over and I left last year and I started a new company. And that company is called wild, wild ventures. And it's literally that like it's a vehicle for me to build all of my wildest and crazy ideas uh, turn them into companies um, or um, sometimes also you know just smaller businesses and um, at the moment I absolutely love it and as you also pointed out already Wild Wild Ventures is a purely remote company so we are um, globally distributed and work from anywhere in the world.
0: That's really, truly remarkable. When I was actually, um, I, I started following you on, um, Instagram and of course we'll share also, um, your Instagram handle, um, (laughs) below in the podcast info. Um, yeah, I started following you, I think just before you decided to, um, yeah, switch from career foundry into the new adventure. And it was really interesting to see that you were more and more interested in, um, the new ways of work. And I know you guys experimented uh, with that already at career foundry. It was really interesting to see how you also, um, yeah, started kind of venture venture out while you were still with Korea Foundry, and then um, it almost felt like I think at least I as a follower always felt like there is something happening. She's going to announce it. No one yet knows what it is, and it was so interesting to see that also personal journey uh, journey and be able to follow it so closely. Um, so thank you again for sharing all that, all the insights and also the learnings. I think being so transparent about the decisions we take as founders is really um, important for aspiring founders, I think.
2: I'm sure, I'm glad you enjoyed it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It was really cool. Um, Thinking back, before we kind of uh, focus on the future again, uh, which I'm sure there is, uh, yeah, many, many adventures to come and uh, ideas to share, kind of looking back at the career founder phase where you, as you stated, you managed to build an amazing team, um, also a cross-functional team with many interesting roles and kind of um, a very design-centric team, which I think in, in the Berlin community also wasn't that frequent. Um, let's focus on that phase a little bit. And I would love to hear from you, what were the decisions that you remember as being key on that journey? So what were the decisions, um, and, and maybe focus on positives and negatives, that actually made the career foundry and your personal journey what it was in mm-hmm. the past years.
2: Well, obviously there were a million great and stupid decisions on that way. <laughs> but um, I think a really big positive one was um, when we decided to focus on UX as our core vertical and as our core, um, yeah, aspect of our brand. So at that time, we had offered software development, UX, UI design, um, and we felt we really need to stand for something. And we chose UX. We had been one of the early schools for UX design online. Um, And I think up until today, we are one of the top five schools in UX globally. Um, And Really standing for, for one thing and focusing on doing one thing absolutely amazing helped the company grow into what it is today. So I think, um, as a learning out of this is it's better to focus than do many things at once at, at the beginning. Um, then a second, um, decision we made, which was both good and bad, um, was we decided we wanted to have an amazing culture. So, And that came from both co-founders, you know, both of us had had some bad work experience, had worked in, in environments that we absolutely hated. And we were committed to really building an amazing workplace where people can do their absolute best work. And we were very experimental about that. So we tried everything from Having absolutely no hierarchies whatsoever, to making salaries transparent, to having peer promotions where the the team could decide who got promoted and who, and not the managers, um, and we thought that would build an amazing culture. Um, however. It didn't, um, and a lot of these things had an adverse effect and made kind of made people less motivated and made people less excited about the work environment. And we literally stood there and we were like, "What the hell are we doing wrong? Like, we're investing so much in this culture and it's not working." And I think then we realized, well, we really have to look at it like like we would um, like with a customer, like we would with with our customers so say for example with our customers we would really dig into their problems and pain points before we make any decisions and with our employees or with our culture we hadn't done that so we started also here really um, finding out deeply what moves what, what frustrates our team what are the pain points and and then find solutions after that. And once we did that, that really turned everything around. And uh, I think we, well, that really helped us become profitable within six months, but it also helped bring a tremendous amount of growth and um, a tremendous increase in the team happiness.
1: Um, So that's, I want to jump in and follow on some of these comments because I think they're fascinating. And speaking of design and the design industry, You and I share share some connections with Envision, obviously. Yes, Um, (laughs) we're both (laughs) Um, and uh, when I was at Envision, one of the things that we thought about very seriously was using the same principles of design applied to culture, and it sounds like you approached it very similarly um, um, with your organization.
2: Yes, we first we first started out wrong, but like (laughs) (laughs) but once we we realized our mistake, that was really like the key to success. Yeah.
1: And it sounds like you, you iterated it in the same way that, that good designers will iterate on, on customer empathy then generates some ideas, generates implementation and then ongoing revision, which is, just sounds fantastic. Um, if, I might, if I might add um, or ask a, a much more tactical question about it that, that can help some of um, perhaps our listeners when they think about doing the same, given this, how do you help new um, hires, new employees understand the culture that they're joining so in effect how do you onboard particularly in a distributed remote environment well
2: um so we have so first of all um i think new people feel a culture immediately without you telling them anything right like anybody can feel this is When they walk into an office, whether that's, you know, a creative environment or a suppressive one. So I think to an extent, they anyways feel it and they get swept up by the existing culture. What we do, um, do to inform them on sort of, you know, our, uh, yeah, what we want to be is we have a whole day, the first day they join where they, um, go through, um, yeah, all kinds of company related topics. They speak to different people in the company and they go through what we aim to do with the company, both in terms of, um, you know, product wise, but also culture wise. But as I said, I think, I think that helps. And I think that helps make people comfortable, but I think new people feel the culture immediately so it's i think more important to work on the culture holistically Mm. not just for the new people
1: makes sense thank you daria back over to you for next
0: yeah i was actually wanting to follow up on two things um one with regards to um also the culture i think one of the things that we Yeah, hear a lot in terms of questions but also keep debating with our community is who is actually responsible for culture and how does the whole kind of like iteration process on it work because I think at least that seems pretty clear culture is obviously an organic part of how um, businesses are built so it's nothing that is set in stone of course it evolves over time as well and more or less explicitly I think companies and teams iterate on it but in your experience, um, who should be in charge of that process? And are there different options maybe? And how did you do it um, at Career Foundry the right way? Maybe you can also yes. share the wrong way learnings a little bit.
2: <laughs> okay. Well, so who should be in charge? So in the end, I think culture is obviously made by everybody in the organization. Um, so I do think everybody can do something to improve culture. However, um, most of the time, it's probably the management uh, or the team leaders who would say, "Okay, we think we have to um, improve something in, in our culture. For example, improve productivity, improve um, engagement, whatever it may be." And I think there's a lot that can be done. Um, and for example, at Career Foundry, you know, we have had many stages of. Of culture where the culture completely changed I think probably 10 times or so and um, change for the better and for the worse worse so um, what we have done and what I would also advise others to do is first of all think of what do you want to change in your culture or what do you want to aim for is it motivation productivity is it participation like basically find some yeah, some, some key behaviors you want to foster. And then you start asking your team about problems and pain points with that. So, for example, you would do a, a team survey and ask, okay, what, what, why aren't you product or why do you think what, what could we do to make the office more productive? Um, and like, you know, maybe ask five questions around productivity. And then from that, you learn what you can actually do. Then I would say have someone in the, in the team that may be HR, uh, be responsible to, f- you know, find like to, yeah, to build solutions, but not just build any solutions, but really again, you know, check with the team if, if the, these are the right solutions. Cause sometimes what we, for example, had, um, is the team said, Oh, we're very engaged, but we're not productive. So sometimes you find, um, like literally, literally, um, yeah, contradictions in the survey results. So you have to dig deep. And then once you come up with a solution, you have to ask the team, is that the right solution or is it not? And then, then that solution can be implemented. And then you can do a survey again, maybe three months or six months later and see if you, if you improved productivity and, uh, That's how I would approach it. So, you know, always know what you want to change, then ask the team what the problems are, and then implement solutions and and cross-check these solutions with the team if you're actually doing the right things.
0: That makes sense. Um, I think it actually is really nice because it gives kind of like a a good bridge between the top-down and the bottom-up approach in a way, right? From what I understood, what you just laid out was something like um, the um, yeah the founding team or the management team that kind of has an idea on which behaviors may be um, lacking or which be- behaviors may be um necessary to change would then kind of give that nudge or have an assumption or hypothesis that they are working off of. But the actual solution and the actual ideas on how to achieve the goal would then come from the team and facilitate it with a support function. or. Yeah,
2: Although I have seen change also come from the team. Like, for example, you know, we had people that said, oh, I want to learn more. And they started book clubs around certain topics, for example, around... You know, marketing topics or um, leadership topics, and so so things like that can also come from the team. It doesn't always have to be from the management, but I think normally it's probably the management who's. Oh, um, well, actually, it doesn't have to be the management, but I think normally the management has certain behaviors and is more, in a, or is in a better position to shift the whole company to to adopt to those behaviors.
0: Yeah, and I think I just realized something super important, uh, which I think gets mixed up all the way. I think there is two processes at place. One's the goal setting, which is the decision, which behaviors do we need more and less of? And then the other one being the actual how to encourage that change and how to actually create new habits and so on. And I think yeah. probably um, as a team, depending on the team, of course, and the, the existing culture, you can collaborate more or less on either one of those. Um what I'm hearing more is kind of like probably in in reality or probabilistically uh, speaking, the, the goal setting will probably me- be more encouraged by the management, but can also be nudged and encouraged by the team and vice versa, right? I mean, in the end, management team members are just also team members and they might also have ideas on how to um, um, execute or, or um, yeah, change specific things. It's just that I think when it comes to how to reach the goal, if there is an overemphasis on, or if it's done too much top-down, it basically just misses the buy-in from the team, which I think is oftentimes the problem with prescribing solutions.
2: Yeah, totally. Like, for example, so one good story about it is um, we we obviously built this uh, or implemented this completely flat hierarchy, right? And the idea for that came from my co-founder having worked at a company before that where, you know, it was a thousand, like thousands of people in the company and only three made decisions. And he said, you know, everybody else just went completely brainless into the office every day. And ultimately that company failed. So it got, it got bankrupt because he felt, well, it was only three people taking decisions and, and, you know, pushing innovation and so on. So it was bound to fail. And he didn't want to have that for us. Um, but it turned out later, you know, we, we didn't even have that problem. In, in Career Foundry, people had always felt they can bring ideas forward and so on. So when we implemented the flat hierarchy, we solved the problem we didn't even have. And, you know that's now funny looking back, but it's actually you know we spend so much time and money building that flat hierarchy that you know it's a, mistakes like that can easily be avoided.
1: In either Career Foundry or in your current venture, given how diligent you are about thinking about the design of culture and the implementation of culture, what uh, have you done when it comes to company values or company principles? It's a topic that. Um, that a lot of people a lot of founders struggle with when, when to create those, what they should be, how do you support them? I'm, I'm really curious about what you've done in that realm.
2: Yeah. So I might be a bit controversial here, but I actually don't believe in company values. <laughs> um, and the reason is, so we, that's t- wonderful.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, um, and The reason is, so we, we have tried this several times, you know, like we, I think first time in 2015, we even had a whole offsite with the entire team where we took the entire team and said, let's all together decide on company values. And the team loved it that we even included them in that. The only thing is the typical thing happened. We came back uh, in, in the office the next day and we had like these beautiful values, um, you know, pinned everywhere in the office, and it didn't change anything, nothing at all. Um, and then I think a couple of years later, I'm smiling, we,
1: I'm, I'm yeah. smiling. You can't see me, but I'm smiling.
2: <laughs> yeah, like the typical thing, right? Um, and then a couple of years later, we decided, okay, maybe let's give it another try, and we did it again. Um, back then, I think the second time we only did it with the team leaders, but it ended up being exactly the same story. So. What I believe in is what I, I think, hinted at earlier is that as a management team, and I'm not just saying the founders or the CEOs, like all of the team leads, I think there needs to be a shared understanding what the, what the behaviors are that, you, that, that the company wants to foster. And it shouldn't be more than four. Yeah. So it could be initiative. It could be innovation. It could be productivity. It could be lots of things. So, um, but not saying that out loud, but then really, um, using the employee survey, um, to find out how these four pillars of the company are going, what can be improved, what is not going well, and then measuring that every quarter um, as to how you progress on, on these factors that you, and on these behaviors that you set yourself. So as an example, um, we we had four pillars, I call them, four set of behaviors we wanted to foster, and we had um, questions um, you know, f- say, for example, for productivity, what, what, how do you feel productive at the moment? Do you feel engaged at the moment? Uh, what can we do to make you feel more engaged? And then, um, we would every quarter ask the same questions every quarter. And then we could see, does it increase? Does it decrease? And we could find out, okay, why is there a decrease, for example, when we had an increase last month? And I think that way is much more effective than putting a poster at the wall um, that nobody sticks to anyways.
1: I I love it. And while I'm sure that there are going to be listeners who are more, let's just say, value-centered in terms of promoting the values, I think at the end of the day, the most important thing is that everybody explicitly and implicitly agrees on how they're going to show up on a day-to-day basis and it almost doesn't matter how you achieve that so it's i I think it's i i love your contentiousness on this issue yeah Um,
2: and i think that way also you have something more actionable right because a poster Mm -hmm. at the wall doesn't change anybody's behavior right but if it's really part of the yeah part of the survey part of what management is measured on for example then i think it's much more likely to actually get trickle slowly into the culture
1: if a related question that is um, more about what you're doing now, and given that uh, a lot of the folks who are going to publish in our podcast are part of remote companies, mm-hmm. um, and 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 I have a remote experience, you obviously have a remote experience, and then it is a, obviously a very hot topic with companies like GitLab and HashiCorp mm-hmm. and Vision, all, all all trying to prove this out um, eventually on the on the public market stage, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what do you What are you learning, given given how seriously you take the engagement of your team in ongoing cultural creation? um, It sounds like that's really important to you. Mm -hmm. How do you make sure that that works um, when people don't have much in the room time? Um, And what are maybe things that you've you've experimented with that have really worked in that? And what are some areas that that you still are experimenting on and trying out design solutions on?
2: Yeah. I love the question because, again, I have maybe a controversial approach here. <laughs> um, so, I think a lot of people in general, whether it's remote or not remote, when they think of culture, the first thing they think about is oh, let's all go out for drinks, let's have an offsite in Mallorca or some beach resort. And that sort of, um, these things are nice, don't get me wrong, but I don't think that they actually affect culture. These are one-off things, you know, that maybe bring the team a bit closer together, um, but I think culture is really sort of the day-to-day, the nitty-gritty, and so this may not be cool, but we are not doing any offsites, we're not doing any free lunches or anything like that. But what we do do is tough love. So with that, I mean, you know, we're really trying to build a feedback culture where it's not, you know, not the bullshit kind of once in a year review, but the constant feedback towards each other where we really try to help each other grow. And everybody who comes in that culture knows that. So basically people who come in, come in because they want to grow and they know, okay, here we are so invested in each other that we're going to give each other the really tough love, the really uncomfortable feedback, but not out of, you know, out of a meanness, but really out of wanting to help each other grow. And what I've seen, and this is not just my new company, this was also at Career Foundry, this goes way, way, way further than any team retreat can ever go because that shows the employee that this is a company that's invested in them, and that is, you know, going to help them grow into their best, the best possible version of themselves.
1: I, I love, I love your thoughtfulness on this. And and again, um, whether or not you're controversial or not to the folks who listen to the podcast, what I what I think is a is a great snippet is this idea that that we don't build culture the few times a year we decide we're supposed to be building culture. We build culture day by day and the interactions we have and the way we interact with each other on a daily basis, which I think is both, both correct and maybe often missed um, in a lot of companies. So thank you
2: for that. Yeah, and it's hard, especially in in a remote context, right? To give that tough laugh, but also to make time to joke around via Slack. It's much easier if you meet somebody in the office over the water cooler and you make a joke then. So we really have to also stop ourselves, make sure we joke with each other while we're working. Um, But again, you know, I'm not, I mean, I'm not saying team retreats are wrong. I mean, they're certainly super nice, but I don't think they really build a culture, especially not in a, you know, in a really designy a yeah, in a a very thoughtful long-term way.
0: My question is a follow-up to this one, um, which is still staying in the remote environment a little bit, because I think whether fully remote company and team or not, I think, moving into the future of work, we all will be working remotely with each other in one way or another. And I think what's personally always tough for me, um, as a founder, trying to always spread thin, of course, trying to kind of um, help the team unblock the team on like seven different areas at the same time, is to actually build trust with each and every one person on the team. And specifically, um, as you grew with Career Foundry, I'm, I'm sure you also probably made that experience where um, you, you don't meet everyone face to face anymore, and people know you less and less. How do you make sure people trust you and you trust the people on the team, um, especially with the remote component? So both remotely and um, maybe also face to face with new team members?
2: So I think there's two layers. I think there's the trust with the people that you work f- most closely with, and then as a CEO or leader, you you also need the trust of the entire team. Um, so in general, for any leader, I think you can't build. A great relationship, a trust based relationship with more than five or 10 people. So, for example, towards the end, we would make sure no, no single team leader of ours had more than five or six reports. Cause at that level, you can really, um, get to know a person, get to know, you know, their ambitions for the future, for example, and really can help them, um, yeah, put them in a position where they are set up in the right way for their future, but you can also have enough time to give them the feedback they need and give them the help they need. Um, so this is the first thing. And that means, you know, me as a CEO, uh, for example, of a of Career Foundry, I only had four people who I was working that close with but I of course also as a CEO you need to have the trust of the entire team so how do you get that Um, I think um, actually Instagram helped me loads with that (laughs) funnily enough towards the later stages because I think it gave people you know a a mirror into my brain that um, I wasn't able to communicate every day uh, to on to the team but also we had for example um all team meetings every monday every friday where people could speak their minds where we would um you know tell people what's going on in the company what's going good what's going bad and i think that creates trust transparency creates trust and that people see okay you may not always have all of the answers as a ceo but um that you are aware of dangers, that you are aware of what's coming, and that you're that you have them covered in in that sense.
0: So it's really um, loads about safety actually and providing safety as well.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So um actually a funny, uh, funny story also. So we did like one of these psych personal personality tests with our team. Um yeah, two years ago, and I thought you know somebody who joins a startup, even a startup that's that's like four or five years old, must be quite adventurous, risk, um, risk taking person. But what came out was that most of our team members were actually very risk averse, and um, like they were really seeking stability, and. Now, if you, if anybody runs a software company that's listening to this, it actually makes sense because most developers or designers choose those professions because they're not very risky professions. Like, even if it doesn't work out with one company, as a developer, you always find another job. So, actually, I, you know, we found out developers, designers are very risk averse people. And hence, our job as, as management was to give them as much security job stability as possible and that was like the highest need on the pyramid
0: that totally makes sense, and I think that is actually something that I heard a lot of founders constantly struggle with, including myself. Um, which is especially in the early stages where you actually build something from scratch, and everything seems unclear yet, and there is um, a user base and a user journey, but things don't yet fully work out, and you kind of are iterating through the the tough like valley of death scenario. Right? Um, that is when yeah. when kind of like holding on to this. Um, Long-term vision and kind of sticking it out and so on is actually really important. And I think a lot of risks and a lot of um, teams break during that time because the needs of people involved are so vastly var- like different. So the founder supports are interested in the kind of like the long-term win and and the big success at the end and also the learnings. And sometimes and often you have people on the team that are also interested loads in learning. So I really like your tough love. Um, Um, motive there because I think that might be the overlap but oftentimes you also just have um, software engineers that are yeah you know like they just they might be bored in like a larger company and and they want to have a bit of a challenge going forward but they're not aware of the whole kind of dark sides of entrepreneurship right the continuous ambiguity Mm. the switching direction the insecurities Mm. and I think that to balance this while building tech companies I think it's one of the most Kind of tricky challenges that doesn't get talked a lot about
2: it's super super hard indeed um we also had um exactly what you said developers from more established companies who joined us who left again because they couldn't deal with that kind of uncertainty and um i think it's hard like you know, no matter how much you tell somebody, wow, this is a startup, you know, it's it's up and down, but it's going to be amazing. <laughs> you know, once they're actually in it and they see how up and down it is, you can't, um, like, you shouldn't beat yourself uh, self up as a founder if you do lose them. Um, I think it does make sense to do a personality test like that fairly early on, you know, there's tests like that online um, to find out at, say, every year or so, um which way your team is skewed because I think f- I'm pretty sure at the very beginning, you know, up until you're t- 10, 20 people, you have a lot more risk loving people on the team. And once after tw- you, c- you get to- towards 20 or so, it somehow sh- shifts and you ha- get more um, risk averse people. Or at least I think that's what happened with us, although I can't 100% say. But it basically requires a different management style than, a, and especially a different kind of communication.
0: That's super interesting. Um, being mindful of your time, of course, and I know you're super busy as a founder. Um, I just have two kind of, um, yeah, um, last wisdom kind of questions um, in order to to really make sure we um, give our audience the, the kind of key takeaways. Um, So both questions are a bit high level, but I think very worth um, bringing up. The first one, obviously, since it's about teams and I think it's so amazing to see how how you scale that company from, you know, the two of you in the beginning and then growing it to over 50 people. What would you say is like the key secret to building great teams? If you were to boil it down to a bunch of bullet points, what would that be?
2: Hmm. Yeah. I think definitely feedback, like to build a feedback culture early, um, as early as possible, where um, you know the team gives you as a founder feedback, but also you give the tough love out early, because I think that helps in so many aspects. It helps you know uh, find out early who's who's a good fit for the team and who isn't. Um, it it helps early discover problems or discover, um, you know, who may be, um, over like, um, overwhelmed with a job. Um, so I think that is definitely, um, and that's hard. It's, it's also the hardest job to actually, you know, take the time and, and give that feedback. Um, one example is, for example, I have, um, an employee and she is amazing at the job she does, but she is, um, She's not very good at coming to the point. So she's waffling. And that um, is uh, affecting her work performance because, you know, nobody else in the team wants to talk to her because they know it's going to take forever. And for the longest time, I didn't dare saying anything because, you know, this is not just a work thing. It's probably a thing she has since she's a small child. Um, But... I'm not doing her any favors if I don't tell her, right? Cause like it does affect her work performance. So I did have to actually go and start talking about, talking with people about these really deeply personal issues, which is hard. But on the other hand, you know, once I managed to get sort of an, an understanding, cause often these people weren't even aware that they did, did these things, then I could actually help them become better, not only at my company, but at any company that they will ever work at
0: and those are the stories that they kind of like carry with them right and also the the real reason why probably people stick around is when you actually yeah. look back and you yeah. see i've been here six months or 12 months and i'm a completely different person now so um much yeah. much more effective yeah. as, a, as a retention instrument than offsites. yeah
2: you probably heard that saying when they say, you know, people don't leave a company, they leave a manager. And I think at the same time, people stick with a company. So for example, what you just said, you know, what, how do you keep people when, when things really go to shit? And in most startups, there are times when it really looks like this is never going to work out. Yeah. Right. And everything just the outlook is so bad. So how, how do, people stay and i think for example for us you know we had these times and we had times that were super tough i think people stayed because of us because they knew we were invested in them and um fortunately they did stay so i'm still grateful to this day but um yeah i think it's it's about these this this investment in people
0: that's super good um Good advice. And, and last but not least, obviously, the question um, around entrepreneurship and being a founder, which um, we all know is like one of the toughest but also most amazing experiences uh, probably in life. What do you think made you a successful founder or, or makes you a successful founder? And what advice do you have for people that are considering starting their own businesses or just in the beginning of it?
2: Mm. Yeah, totally go for it. You know, if you're planning on um, or if you're just playing with the idea, definitely try to found a business. Um, But I would, you know, hedge my risk a bit. I would, um, you know... Maybe moonlight the first six months and see if the idea works out with moonlight. I mean you know keep your day job and try to build a new business at the side and see if it works out because um, sometimes it can take forever to get a business off the ground, so it's good to have some income coming in and um it's I think it's very hard to say about oneself why why you know why I was successful um <laughs> um i i think definitely i always believed in the ideas that i had and um i also um i just felt i couldn't give up to an extent i felt like okay i have to make this work at least to a certain extent and um yeah i think basically this um perseverance um is is quite important and Yeah. So I think both, you know, even now it's, it's much easier than with career Foundry because my second company and, um, you know, I'm much, I I know more what I'm doing, Uh, but there's still a lot of tough times, but I just always feel like, no, I can't, I can't give up. Now I'm already put my foot in it. and (laughs) I just have to get through this. And then most of the time, somehow it also turns around again.
1: Rafael I just want to thank you for joining us and it's been a pleasure to to interact with you and listen to you talk with us today.
2: Awesome. Yeah, thank you so much for having me.
0: Thank you so much Rafael. I think it was super inspiring um from a perspective of obviously building teams but also from a personal perspective of being a founder and hearing some of your advice and some of your learnings uh, really just encourage everyone to follow Rafaela on instagram it's really truly remarkable what you can learn Uh, and Rafaela also does a lot of book summaries and kind of lessons learned over and over again so i think it's one of the actually most um not only entertaining but also knowledgeable accounts that i'm following so thank you again for spending all the time daily to share all your insights with us
2: well thank you very much (laughs) all right
0: um Awesome. Everyone, we have an amazing uh, follow-up guest uh, joining us next week. So I really, truly hope you will um, enjoy this podcast, but also the next one. Next week, we actually have um, an engineering leader with us. So everyone who is building and scaling engineering teams will be able to hear lots of awesome um, wisdom and insights there as well. Thank you so much for your time, everyone. Thank you, Rafaela. Thank you, Mark and we're looking forward to hearing and uh, being with you all soon bye bye my name is daria Kurtnik. and if you're interested to learn more about team rituals that work for your team that other successful companies are doing in order to create great cohesive cultures do check out bunch.ai this is also where you can find out more about what we're building and sign up for our newsletter and find out what our future episodes will be about
1: Looking forward to having you and talk to you next on the next episode.